Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter. Hey, Dr. Greer. How's it going? Awesome. Joe Cotter. How are you? I'm feeling good. I'm about to go pick up my daughter at school through a raging thunderstorm, um, which reminds me, summertime in Atlanta means I got to put an umbrella in the car so that when I pass people walking their dog and they forgot their umbrella, I can give them one. It's the only nice thing I do in life. The rest of the time, it's mostly just ignoring my fellow man, but I do like to give away umbrellas. We're going to talk to some nice people today on the podcast, though. No doubt. Did you hear that thunder? Pretty yeah, good, right? I heard that yeah. one. Let's let's speed this up before you get yeah. electrocuted. Yeah, man. Um, so the two friendly people you referred to, uh, Dr. Christopher Slator and Dr. Ann Melzer. Dr. Slator is an investigator for the VA Health Service Research and Development Center of Innovation, Center to Improve Veteran Involvement in Care, or CIVIC. He's also Associate Professor of Medicine uh, at Oregon Health and Science University, and he's a clinician. He does actual lung cancer screening care, also a clinician, uh, also a Director of Lung Cancer Screening Program is our other guest, Dr. Dr. Melzer. Dr. Melzer is Assistant Professor of Medicine at the University of Minnesota Medical School. And like Dr. Slator, she is involved at the VA. She's an investigator at the Minneapolis VA Center for Care Delivery and Outcomes Research. So two very, I mean, my dog is terrified, cowering under the desk, shaking. (laughs) Sorry about the thunder, buddy. Um, So really, really two uh, people with some very unique perspectives, right? They got the clinical perspective, they're seeing patients, they're helping people with lung cancer screening. And it's a very um, important issue, this massive problem of lung cancer. Absolutely. And my dog has taken a different stance. He is growling at the thunder, so we'll try to get (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, these, ah, Chris and Ann were just fantastic. So Joe, I just, I think that The reason our listeners are going to enjoy this podcast is it was such a learning experience for me, and I think it will be for them as well, because one of the things that I was struggling with was, why is this such a problem? Why is lung cancer screening a problem? Because I feel like we are moving in such a great direction when I think about other screening for other cancers like Joe think like think about mammography or colorectal cancer screenings right we're really we're doing some really great things there and then Chris and Ann reminded us of despite the fact that we know CAT scans work really well to screen for lung cancers and we know who's eligible that only about five to ten percent of patients who are eligible for lung cancer screening get it in the United States on an annual basis. So those numbers are really low. And what Ann and Chris walk us through in just this really elegant way are the challenges in that space and the challenges come down in a few different categories that are going to be basically, you can sum up in one sentence. It's hard. It's hard to, as a patient, to know if you're eligible. It's hard as a clinician to remember, to remind patients, to figure out who's eligible. And Anne and Chris, I mean, their solution is we just need to make this easier. We need to make it easier for everyone. We need to make it easier to find the right people to screen. We need to make it easier to screen them 
and to get them to come back year after year to see if they are the needle in the haystack that we need to um, treat for lung cancer. So oh, this was this was just a podcast that I will play again and again to remind myself about what are the challenges in lung cancer. And, and these two, I mean, they are knocking it out of the park. So I think you're going to love this. Welcome to the podcast, Ann and Chris. We are delighted to have you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, likewise. This is going to be really fun. So you are both physician scientists and Anne, you are a researcher as well. You focus your research on patients with lung disease. One area of your research, we're not going to have time to talk about everything you do, but one area that you focus in is in promoting smoking cessation. And Chris, you have a lot of areas of research. You think a lot about patients who have tobacco-related lung diseases and think about ways that we can prevent those lung diseases. How can we, we don't prevent them? How might we detect them? And then certainly how can we treat them? And then what we're going to focus on today, how can we increase benefits from screening? So I think that you two seem like a fantastic team from the publications I've read. You are an amazing team. So welcome and this is a wonderful chance for our listeners to learn a lot more about not only lung cancer in general, but lung cancer screening in particular. So I'd love to get started with a few basics. So Anne, my first question, I'd, I'd love to start with you. Can you just remind us, what does the lung cancer burden look like in the United States? Sure. So lung cancer, unfortunately, is a huge burden still in the United States. Um, it's the third most common type of lung cancer. So it's, it's in terms of new cases every year, it falls behind both breast cancer and colon cancer, but that really doesn't tell the whole story um, of the burden that it poses. You know, there are 250 to 300,000 new cases of breast and colon cancer each year and about 230,000 new cases of lung cancer. But when we look at deaths from cancer, you know, almost as many people die every year from lung cancer alone as from colon cancer, pancreas cancer, and breast cancer kind of all combined together. Um, and so it's a huge burden because a lot of patients with lung cancer have no symptoms until that, that cancer is pretty advanced. Um, and then our treatment options are a lot more limited, unfortunately. And so we see a lot of these patients with lung cancer, you know, diagnosed at a more advanced stage compared to things like breast cancer or colon cancer, where there have been screening programs in place for a number of years. Okay, so interesting. So one of the things you helped to remind us of is that even though lung cancer isn't top of our list of the most common types of cancers in the United States, that it is an enormous burden in this country because it can be difficult for us to realize that we have a lung cancer because the symptoms can be a challenge. So things like a persistent cough may not elevate our awareness right away. And so once a lung cancer is detected, as you said, the, the options to treat that lung cancer become more and more limited. And so we see patients diagnosed late. And then you reminded us that the numbers of deaths from lung cancer 
um, really are are quite high. So, Chris, I think I'd I'd like to understand then if if everything that Anne said is setting the stage that what we'd really like to do is to understand who we should be screening for lung cancer and screening them so that we can prevent some of these late stage diagnoses. I feel like we've been having this discussion for a really long time. And even though there are so many people working so hard in this space that some of our strategies to reach the right people for lung cancer screening, some of these strategies are falling short. So can you help us understand what is the state of lung cancer screening um, in the United States? Yeah, so you're right. So lung cancer screening is based on the premise that finding lung cancer at earlier stages is uh, better for people so that when treatments are both uh, more tolerable and more effective. So the idea for behind lung cancer screening is to do an annual CAT scan for people who have a high risk of developing lung cancer uh, with the goal to be if they actually have a lung cancer to find it early when treatments are still uh, more effective. I think the general state is really, um, we aren't in this country really doing lung cancer screening at very high levels yet. So despite the United States Preventive Services Task Force um, initially having a, uh, a recommendation to uh, screen eligible people uh, many years ago, um, the latest data suggests that only about 5 to 10% of eligible people in this country are actually undergoing lung cancer screening. So I would say the, we have good evidence that it works. Um, but we also have a long way to go to making sure everybody who's eligible um, is at least offered lung cancer screening. Well, that's really interesting. And I'd love to know if you have a perspective to share. I mean, that, that last sentence that Chris shared, so even though it works, so even though we know screening works and we can prevent some of those really terrible outcomes that you shared with this annual CAT scan for individuals at high risk. So even though we can find eligible folks, only about 5 to 10% of eligible patients are participating in screening. Any other thoughts that you would want to share with us? Sure. You know, um, we see a lot of issues, I think, in why lung cancer screening has been hard to spread. Um, things that are a little more complicated, perhaps, about answer, uh, offering this kind of screening that has, has made the uptake be a little slow. That being said, we know that these are all you know, things that can be surmounted, that they're uh, with appropriate attention and resources, that they're all problems that can be solved. Um, and, and so I think it's on the one hand, a frustration that it has been a slow process of, of spreading lung cancer screening to the patients who need it. On the other hand, I think there's also a huge opportunity for us to do you know, a really good job of uh, improving the way we deliver this to make it as effective and kind of efficient as we possibly can for all the patients and all the health systems involved. Oh, I really love that. So you've laid out, you and Chris have really nicely laid out that, yeah, this is a, this is a problem, but it's not insurmountable. Um, so if you had to kind of scrape away at, I'm sure that it's just a 
could go in lots of different directions with lots of different challenges in this space. But what are the two of you working on trying to solve in this lung cancer screening arena? And Anne, I'll, I'll pose it to you first. Sure. So I would say that the kind of big picture um, problems that we're trying to solve are just in decreasing deaths from lung cancer by increasing lung cancer prevention. And that's that smoking cessation piece you you spoke about um, in, in terms of my research. And then also increasing access to early lung cancer detection. And that's where lung cancer screening comes in and also just systematically keeping track of lung nodules or spots in general to make sure that we're finding, you know, all the early lung cancers that we can. Um, and so Chris and I have put a lot of thought into this and a lot of our research is really focused on addressing the patient side and the health system side uh, to try to figure out where the barriers are to getting screening, you know, from, from the guideline into the patient um, and, and how we can address the problems that we uncover um, to make that screening access, you know, better, more equitable, and really, um, you know, matched to um, the patient's preferences uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the big picture is is kind of a catchphrase that a lot of us in lung cancer screening use is that lung cancer screening is a process, not a scan. And so it's really a multi-step process of finding eligible people, offering them the ability to engage in lung cancer screening, and then you know having them actually get that scan. But then it's also what do you do after that scan? Because no one is no one's life is saved by getting a CAT scan that identifies the problem. But then there are a whole bunch of other steps that have to happen after that. So really, I think the two most important things we have to do with lung cancer screening is one systematically identify people who are eligible for screening and two is keep them in the process right so i really think it's about finding and keeping those people in that complicated process if we're going to make a dent in uh, lung cancer mortality in this country yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean so what you and ann both shared is that so before you even enter this you have the the possibility of preventing lung cancer through smoking cessation and other other kind of public health measures so we'll we'll move that off the table so once we're we're engaged and actively pursuing all avenues of prevention we've now moved into detection and you you shared with us that there's lots of different pieces to this which i've, I've never honestly really thought about it that way before is that you have to figure out you can't offer this to everyone, right? All all Americans are not going to get. It's not like a Pap smear, where everyone should should have this. There are certain categories of people who will be more at risk than others, um, or it's not like a breast exam. I mean, there there is decision making. So you have to figure out who is eligible, and then offer it, and then convince them to have it. This is not a small procedure. And then track not only the the patient, but also how how well did it work, right? One of the things that Anne said is 
you know, how can we track these early cancers and these early, you know, what does the data mean? What does it mean when you have an early nodule? What, what decision making goes into that? And so, um, and then for the patient, how do we continue to follow up on them for years to come? So I think one of the things I'd love to talk to you about during this podcast is this is a, this is complex and it involves patients and it involves clinicians and lots of conversations between them. So this is going to be cool to try to understand. So Chris, before we kind of dive down into that, I would like for you to help us understand what's something really cool that's happening. I mean, I think there have been some pretty big advances in lung cancer screening. So just to help us, so we've shared some of the problems. What's something big that has helped to move the field forward and kind of poise you and Anne and others to really tackle some of these challenging issues? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I think the most important issue recently is that the United States Preventive Services Task Force recently gave lung cancer screening a B recommendation. And so they had done that before and then uh, in 2013, and then now they are re uh, are giving it a, a B recommendation again in 2021, which shows just that lung cancer screening is not going away, right? I think that in 2013, there was some thoughts that, well, there was one major trial that showed a, a, a benefit in reducing deaths from lung cancer. But then a, another study came out um, a year or two ago, and then with the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force endorsing that, I think that's going to be the biggest change. Just, the, and just to clarify, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force is the leading body in this country that helps determine what uh, cancer screening uh, tests and interventions get done. So them saying this a second time I think really says lung cancer screening is here to stay. All right, Chris. So when I think of a B, I think of like if I came home with a B on my report card, that was like okay news, not the best news, but it meant like, yeah, she there's room for improvement, but Susanna did okay. So help us understand what is a what does a B mean? What is the task force trying to say to all of the researchers and clinicians who are in this space? What message does a B send? What other message could they have sent? Yeah. Well, the practical message is that because of the Affordable Care Act, all statements that the U.S. Preventive Services, Preventive Services Task Force makes that are an A or a B must be covered by private insurance, right? Ah. So, so you can we can talk and in a researchy way talk about what a beam like means and you know kind of how they grade the evidence but the most important thing is that that means it gets paid for by private insurance uh, it doesn't you, yeah. actually mean it gets paid for by medicare but in general medicare often follows what the united states preventive services task force does the same thing both ann and i work for the va and the va isn't required to follow a B recommendation from the task force, but we almost always do. So, so the, the, the most important part of a B is that this is going to get paid for. If you want to talk about the, what that the evidence means, I think what they're saying is there's been two 
large randomized trials that both showed uh, uh, a, uh, a decrease in deaths from lung cancer if you do annual CAT scans, right? The reason it's not an A is because of really what, we, and I'm reading into this a little bit, they didn't, the task force didn't say this explicitly, but my sense is they're saying that because, because lung cancer screening is such a complicated process in the real world, like having it proven in in highly controlled research settings that it works may have less uh, effect in the real world. So I think the reason they said it's a B instead of an A was that recognition that there's still a lot more uh, evidence that needs to be collected before we're 100% assured that this works in the real world. And Ann and I, Ann can comment, but I think both of us use that to, to say like, well, we have to, for those of us who are doing lung cancer screening, we have to be um, incredibly focused on having programs of the utmost quality, right, sort of do this. So if we deviate from things we know that are high quality, we will not achieve the same results that they did in those uh, randomized trials that the task force based their recommendation on. And, you know, this comes up to me when clinicians who are maybe um, on the fence about what they think about lung cancer screening, they say, well, you know, this is a B grade. Um, and I, it's always worth pointing out that almost all cancer screenings get a B grade for exactly the reasons that Chris says, is that they're huge, hard trials to do. You have to do thousands upon thousands of patients. And so you rarely have more than a couple um, and there's often this concern that they're hard to duplicate that high quality, rigid follow-up like you do in a clinical trial. So for example, mammography is also a B um, and it's a C for younger women. And you know, yet mammography is, as you said, absolutely widely available in a population level. Um, and so that, that B grade from the US PSTF, um, you know, it, it says something to clinicians who are interested in epidemiology data and methodologies, but at the end of the day, as Chris said, it, it has risen to the level that insurance will cover it. It is, um, you know, something that they're endorsing. Okay, fascinating. So you guys have convinced me that this B grade is a, I mean, it's a huge banner message to clinicians that this is something that we're going to continue doing. It's important. We believe the data. We need more of it. But one way to get more of it is to continue screening and continue to, to doing all the things that you are working on, uh, figuring out how do we offer it? How do we follow up? How do we track? How do we enroll? But what about the message that is going out to patients? So, Chris, I'd really like to understand more about challenges that exist for patients when it comes to lung cancer screening? Yeah, I honestly think the biggest challenge is just having um, their uh, primary care provider um, know that they're eligible and offer them the chance to undergo lung cancer screening. So lung cancer screening is a little bit different than several of the other cancer screening recommendations because it's not just based on age. It's also based on uh, a person's past uh, cigarette smoking uh, use as well. And so there's lots of reminders in the way modern 
um, health records work to say, hey, this is uh, a patient who's 50 years old. They're probably due for their annual you know, uh, colon cancer screening with a colonoscopy or something like that. Adding in the additional criteria for how much somebody has used cigarettes in the past uh, has uh, the effect of being a, a barrier for having primary care people um, remember to offer uh, their uh, potentially eligible patients the chance to undergo lung cancer screening. So yeah, so I think that's really the biggest the biggest challenge is finding those patients who are eligible for it. So interesting. So so what you're sharing is that patients may just truly be unaware that this is something because it's just not something we think about quite as much and it's not something we hear about in the media like colorectal screening and like mammography and pap smears. So they may truly be unaware that they are eligible, that insurance would cover it. Um, and they're really going to rely on that primary provider to share with them. And so if it's up to that primary provider, and can you share with us, and, and Chris shared one, that providers have a lot on their plate about all the different things that even if you're just coming in for a physical or maybe you're coming in for something else and a provider looks at their check sheet and says, oh, well, you know, this individual is, um, you know, perhaps could meet these criteria, but clinicians seem to have some different frustrations when it comes to lung cancer screening that honestly I had never thought about. Could you share with us some of those perspectives? So, so as Chris pointed out, the eligibility assessment is a big uh, barrier on the patient side and the clinician side. And particularly when people are former smokers, so let's say they quit smoking, it's oftentimes not something that an electronic health record will remind their clinician about, for, for example. And so um, primary care providers have... Um, essentially to remember in a lot of health systems to do this and to remember these very specific criteria that if you deviate from, the test will not be paid for, right? The patient must meet these criteria. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about how we can use health electronic health records to try to you know, remind uh, primary care providers, gather this information from patients in a much more systemic way to try to find these eligible patients. And so I think that's one big frustration that I hear over and over. Uh, and one of the next biggest frustrations is, as Chris pointed out, ACT scan is not lung cancer screening. Lung cancer screening is a longitudinal process where we want people to come back scan after scan, year after year to the same place because we need to compare those images in a very structured way, according to kind of a, a set of um, you know, guidelines used by the radiologists. And that's really best practice lung cancer screening. And that's oftentimes not how healthcare is delivered. Patients see care in different places, you know, and clinicians need a way to you know, track the findings of those CT scans because Again, unlike a lot of other cancer screenings where the test is basically either normal or it's abnormal and you kind of have to do something about it right away, that's very frequently not the case for lung cancer screening. About 96% of the 
slightly abnormal CT scans will turn out to be nothing, but the only way to find that out is to bring these patients back year after year, track those little lung spots and figure out, you know, the 96, 97% of them that are nothing from the couple percent of them that are something. And so as you can imagine, thinking about thousands of patients year to year to year at a single health system, that's a huge burden, you know, that somebody needs to take on to make sure that, like Chris said, we're offering lung cancer screening that is as close to what was done in these trials that were shown to work as possible. Okay, good grief. So this is, this is a lot. So we have, <laughs> I just want to make sure I understand and that we're sharing it with our listeners in a way that they get the magnitude of the problem. So we understand the problem of lung cancer. Lung cancer is, can be detected quite late, difficult to treat. We have patients who are going to depend, for the most part, because of the way that we advertise or communicate in mass media and socialized screening, they're going to really be dependent on their primary care um, provider to share with them that this is a, a screen that I, I would recommend for you. And this is how we're going to make sure that um, it, it's paid for by your private insurance. And potentially you shared that it might also be paid for um, by, um, you know, by like the VA, things like that. All right. But then on the clinician side, you shared, I think, about three or four real challenges. The, the first is that clinicians are going to be looking at the electronic health record when they are looking at eligibility assessments for um, lung cancer screening. And some of the data is very hard to detect, like whether or not you are a former smoker. And a patient, in order to be covered by insurance, has to be asked the questions in the exact right way and has to answer the questions in the exact right way. So that seems to be a huge challenge. Challenge number two, how do you find these patients? Challenge number three, how do you keep up with these patients? If you're, let's say you move or you go to a, just a, you get tired of your doctor at Emory and want to go to a doctor at Piedmont here in Atlanta, how do you track these patients? And then you also shared kind of as a fourth challenge, you're looking for a needle in a haystack that around 4% of what you are seeing on a CT scan may be something of concern, but we know from the task force and the B rating that that 4% is really worth following in these scans. So, Chris, how do you plan to begin to confront these issues? And then, Anne, I'll ask you to chime in. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like, we need to make it easier for patients and primary care providers to do lung cancer screening, right? I think there's lots of little things about, you know, patients may or may not have as enough information or education about lung cancer screening. PCPs, primary care providers that is, you know, may not have enough information. They probably don't have the guidelines memorized, things like that. But I think what lung cancer screening programs need to do as kind of their bottom line is to make it easy for patients and providers to do lung cancer screening. If we if we put all the burden of, 
you know, self-identifying yourself on the patient and remembering, you know, like to get your CAT scan and then remember to get your, you know, CAT scan again in six, in, you know, every year. Like, I think that's going to just lead to, you know, continued low and slow implementation. implementation. And, you know, I think just it's a recipe for disaster. Like, I don't, I don't know about, you know, you guys, but like, I don't even remember to go to the dentist like once a year. Right. You know, and like, I'm actually like, you know, kind of, um, um, you know, and, and so like, I think that's probably a good idea, but I still have 8 million things in my life that make it hard. And so does every other person in the world. Right. And so having them having to remember and figure all that stuff out is just not the way to make it work. And so I think Ann and I are both really focused on um, making it easier for people to do it. Just to chime in on what Chris said, Chris said the the word lung cancer screening program, right? And I think that that's really the crux of it is that if we just expect every primary care doctor in the United States to just remember to do this and to remember to do it every year, you know, that's that's just not realistic in, in terms of giving us a good outcome. And so lung cancer screening programs can kind of fill in that gap where you have staff whose, whose job this is to track all these scans, to make sure that referred patients are eligible, to keep up with changes in the guidelines, kind of all of these really important elements of, of doing lung cancer screening. And, you know, I, I think both of us hold the opinion that that's kind of the, the way forward. And health systems just have to invest in these this type of infrastructure if, if they want to do good lung cancer screening. Um, and, you know, like anything in healthcare, getting those sorts of people into place, getting them trained, you know, getting buy-in from hospital leadership, that is something that takes time and and sort of champions um, to, to push that along. You know, I think what you guys are sharing is just brilliant and it's brilliant in its simplicity. I, I'm never gonna forget the analogy that you shared, Chris, that you, you're busy, but yet you know you need to go to the dentist, but you're busy. I mean, I see my teeth every day, but yet you're <laughs> right. I, I see them lots of times a day and I don't think about scheduling that well it's more than an annual exam right you're supposed to go every six months i don't ever see my shoot. Like I, yeah yeah no, like no you like you look you i mean i brush my teeth you know this is probably too much information but i, I do brush my teeth like <laughs> twice a day and i'll and i'll be like oh yeah i feel like i haven't scheduled my next dentist appointment and then that's a you know like eight o'clock at night and i'll be like oh of course i'll remember right. right to do it and then literally like four months goes by and i'm like oh did i i don't think i ever did that you know and so i just think like that simple thing is just it's really really hard right with all the stuff that we have going yeah. on in our lives. Oh, you're exactly right joe gets so sick of it I'm, i constantly love to drop that i'm an immunologist because no one ever appreciates their immune system until they're sick and then they're like, aha, it's that immune system. I think it's the same thing about your lungs. You know, we never appreciate how just amazing they are until we're exercising and gasping for breath or until until maybe something goes wrong. So thank you. That was a really lovely way to remind us of just how difficult and complex life is. And especially for folks who may have a history of smoking, they've got a lot on their plate. So Chris, I would the love other best analogy, uh, just to share, is I don't know if you guys are Seinfeld fans, or how oh, much, but absolutely. there's the greatest episode where Jerry is trying to, um, he's like, I think giving a, um, you know, doing his uh, sketch at someplace in like upper New York or something. So, you know, uh, rents a car, 
and then flies there and he gets to the desk and he's like, you know, saying like, okay, I'm here to get my car. And they say, oh, well, we don't have your car, right? And he has this whole little little skit about how you know how to take a reservation, but you don't know how to hold the reservation. That's really the core issue of lung cancer screening, right? Like it's, it's you gotta like take people and you have to hold them in the system. Right. So I think that's another like analogy I've used, right, to sort of explain like the two most important pieces of lung cancer screening are taking people and holding them there. So so if, if, if you have like five minutes to, you know, uh, YouTube that that scene, like it's well worth, uh, you know, like cutting this podcast like five minutes short and spending your you know extra time doing that. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, Chris, we are just extraordinarily thrilled at the American Cancer Society to have funded you. And Anne, we're so excited that you are such a wonderful collaborator. I I would love to know if there are ways that the American Cancer Society has impacted this area of research and if there are gaps that you really hope your findings that have been ACS funded can fill. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the main one is um, the ACS funded this, our study, to really study what patients and clinicians understand and want about lung cancer screening. So um, as this the study that Anna and I are working on is the largest study to date that's really uh, explored in depth what, and, and over time, what patients and clinicians need for lung cancer screening to work effectively. So we're actually, you know, kind of um, still gathering data and analyzing data that I think will really help us understand the next 10 years for how to provide patient-centered lung cancer screening. So I'm just super thankful that the American Cancer Society, you know, helped fund this work because otherwise I don't think it would have gotten done. And Anne, what about you? What are you most excited about when you think about this collaboration and its potential impact? Yeah, so so I would um, very much echo what Chris says because I think it's hard to know how to make it better without knowing why it's not working well as it is. And and so I think this study um, really adds a lot in, in terms of knowing what isn't working well from all the major stakeholders, which are the clinicians doing it and the patients trying to go through this really complicated process. Um, so I think I'm really excited to take that information and, and just apply it in a very practical way to trying to help healthcare systems start doing lung cancer screening um, and and doing it doing it well and doing it right. Yeah, I think that was a universal message from the clinicians in our study so far is help us, right? We think this is a good, we think lung cancer screening is a good idea. Um, you people that expert, that have, that uh, uh, specialize in it need to help us get it done. There is no stronger message than help us. <laughs> um, Wow. Okay. Well, we are we're putting a lot of faith in you and your colleagues, and good luck. Um, this is an extraordinary effort, Chris. And I'll um, Chris, I'll ask you first. But many of our listeners are cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers. Is there a message you would like to share with this group in particular? Especially for lung cancer, for people who've survived lung cancer, we need you. So. One of the things that I think has, has been different about 
say, breast cancer uh, screening or prostate cancer screening or even colon cancer screening is there's a ton of success stories like out there. And one of the big reasons why I think those kind of took off often before there was uh, there were really high quality data to support them is people saw that their friends and neighbors had breast cancer or had prostate cancer or had colon cancer and then were you know surviving right and and and, and that, that that by finding it early especially if those people got screened that they were really success stories for the um the the screening process and i think people who've survived lung cancer can really be that so for a ton of reasons which i don't know that we want to go into people who survive lung cancer are often pretty invisible to the rest of the world. And so using their uh, voice to help um, 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 spread the message that lung cancer screening can work, I think will be hugely helpful. Um, and that, you know, that's putting a lot on them. Like, I don't, you know, like again, people who survive lung cancer, you know, like my analogy before, have a lot of stuff going on. So I don't want to add to their plate, right? They've already, you know, done a lot of work. But the more people that can combine and get together and really support lung cancer screening efforts for the rest of the world, I think the better off we'll be. And maybe even just telling a few friends, you know, I, I did this. And um, I was screened, and this is how it was. I mean, it, you never know the message, the impact of your message. Um, Anne, do you have a message to share? You know, I think um, my maybe going a little different direction, wearing my, my other hat as a tobacco control researcher. And, you know, I have heard, you know, unfortunately, that, you know, there is still stigma against smoking um, in our society. And I, I, Unfortunately, I think that that has been a barrier to lung cancer screening getting getting taken up, both from patients who sort of have this, you know, I, I did this to my body kind of feeling. And I just always want to do everything I can to dispel that message. You know, smoking, smoking is not a bad habit. It's a really difficult to kick compulsion that, you know, a lot of people put a lot of effort into making people do. And so, you know, it, it's it's obviously a big risk factor for lung cancer. And I just always want to, you know, tell patients whether you're still smoking, whether you were able to quit smoking, whether you have a loved one who's a smoker, you know, that's not your fault. And if lung cancer screening can be life-saving, please don't, don't delay, you know, going through this process. Um, and, and I, of course, give that same message to, to clinicians that, you know, it, it works whether you're a current smoker, it works whether you're a former smoker, you know, take this opportunity to kind of help help promote your health. Thank you, Anne. Thank you, Chris. You are both just extraordinary and we're so excited for you and wish you the best of luck. Thank you.